listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, the results are in from a highly anticipated study of fecal contamination in Teton County waterways. We all need to think about, like, we live upstream of somebody. Plus, how Utah is using beavers to mitigate the impacts of drought. Oh, beavers are great for the environment. But first, local students are organizing against gun violence following a string of deadly mass shootings across the U.S. More than 100 Jackson Hole High School students walked out of class at 10 a.m. on Monday, June 6th to protest gun violence. The March for Our Lives-inspired action came in the wake of the May school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, that left 19 students and two teachers dead. KHOL's Kyle Mackey reports on how local teenagers are grappling with the tragedy and what their message is for Congress. After the Uvalde shooting, 17-year-old Acacia LaPrade looked around to see if she could find a local protest against gun violence to participate in. Nothing seemed to be scheduled, so she and 16-year-old Sophie Lamb organized their own. Both girls are wrapping up their junior year at Jackson Hole High School, and they were joined by a large crowd of their peers in a walkout last Monday. Lamb made opening remarks before the group started marching. People are dying right now in the U.S., and I think we have responsibility in this state to share our voice and say that we are scared. Um, Wyoming has the third highest rate of gun deaths in the country. We have the second highest amount of gun ownership in the country, and we have the least restrictive gun laws in the country. I think we need to fight this and stand together and demonstrate that we just like this. Fact-checking those stats, Lamb's spot on with the first two, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the RAND Corporation's Gun Policy in America initiative. As for the least restrictive gun laws, the Cowboy State consistently ranks among the country's top five. And Wyoming students have lots of ideas about what to do to fight gun violence. I just think we need more regulations, more background checks. Um, I don't think we need um, automatic rifles. Like, I, I don't see, like, people don't really hunt with those, you know. I mean, they don't really need to be accessible to buy. We definitely might need more laws around it because... It's, it's very scary when online nowadays you can buy a gun without needing any sort of license or registration for it. It's easier to get a gun than it is to get a driver's license, um, which is kind of concerning. So I think it's going to take a lot of work from both sides to recognize that children from both sides are dying. That was Elizabeth, Oliver, and Blanca. Blanca says she's been really afraid of school shootings since she was in middle school. And when she talks about both sides, she means the long-standing partisan divide between Democrats and Republicans over gun policy. What would your message be if you could talk to Congress today and be like, hey, like, what would you want them to know? Um, well, if they would listen, I'd be, I would, number one, say, um, this is not about um, either side winning. This is not about who has more power in Congress. This is not about who could be president or should be president. This is about kids' lives and people's lives that are on the line. This is not just happening in schools, up in, in spas and stores and theaters. This is not about you. KHOL asked Wyoming's all-Republican congressional delegation to respond to the students' concerns. Representative Liz Cheney didn't respond to our request, but she voted no to a package of bills that would tighten gun restrictions and which passed the House Wednesday. 
Wyoming Senators John Barrasso and Cynthia Lummis provided statements that said restricting Second Amendment rights is not the answer to gun violence. Both leaders said they prefer to focus on securing schools and mental health. However, Senator Lummis later told CNN she's reconsidering supporting some gun control measures after getting a flood of calls from Wyomingites who want something to be done. Back at the high school, the students walked a lap around a nearby middle school, and then most went back to class. A smaller group stayed outside to write the names of victims of gun violence in chalk on the bike path in front of the school. Melanie and Julieta Googled the names and ages of victims from Uvalde on their phones. Diez años. Diez años. Have you ever heard Diez años. Dude, where were we when we were 10 years old? We were just playing around. Dude, yeah. I remember playing like with my dolls and stuff. Dude, that's... These, kid, these kids lost their lives. Dude, imagine the parents, because a lot of them are spent. Dude, my mom was always like, me muero si tú te mueres. That's a Spanish phrase meaning, if you die, I die. Julieta also says her family recently agreed on a code to text each other in case of a mass shooting. Um, my grandma was like, this is a code for us. Like, this is our safety code. Like, type in this number to the group chat to tell us that you're safe. Like, if anything happens, like, tell us. And, like, it's, it's Many other students also seem to have accepted that there's a risk they could encounter a school shooting at any time. Sophie joined the walkout with a group of friends from the private Mountain Academy, which is part of Teton Science Schools. I think a lot of people are desensitized to it because we kind of have to be, because we have to go to school and we're constantly afraid, but it's something we still need to do. And so I think it's just growing up with this and always hearing it is, it's so depressing and so sad. That emotional burden is part of why the Teton County School District says it's increased the number of counselors and social workers at its schools. The Wyoming Department of Education also announced this week that it will hold a series of roundtable discussions this summer with superintendents from across the state to talk about school safety. Kyle Mackey, K-12 News. Last year, a University of Wyoming graduate student spent a few months waiting around Teton County waterways, trying to track E. coli and fecal contamination. The goal of her sampling was to shed light on where certain bacterial pollution in fish and flat creeks might be coming from. Now, the results are in. And as KHOL's Wilwaukee reports, human infrastructure is at least partially responsible. Yeah, thank you to everybody here and, and tuning in remotely. I'm really excited to be presenting this research. I'm gonna Speaking during a Teton Conservation District meeting last month in front of a curious crowd of Jackson Hole residents was a new type of experience for Kelsey Ruling in her master's thesis process. Ruling was presenting the final results of her study after months of crunching data, and she was pleased with the response. I could feel it, and I could tell from the, the level of questioning and you know the clarifying questions of really trying to understand this science that is quite complicated and, and pretty nuanced. I could tell, you know, how much everybody really cares about this issue in Teton County. 
When KHOL visited Ruling during her fieldwork last summer, she was dipping a jar into Cache Creek, trying to get a better understanding of the bacteria in the aquatic ecosystems of the area. Then, she compared her findings to samples of poop gathered from cattle, wildlife, dogs, and human wastewater in Teton County. We're going to process for E. coli, and we will extract DNA from the water sample, too, to do some microbial source tracking. One of the main goals of the project was to identify the greatest contributors to fecal or poop contamination of Jackson Hole waterways. That's often connected to certain harmful strains of E. coli, but it's difficult to prove a direct connection. The results of ruling study, she says, were a bit surprising and could be concerning for local officials. The main takeaways from the study are that sewage is one of the major fecal contributors to fish and flat creek. However, that is highly variable depending on the season. Now, there are a lot of caveats to that. Like, a lot of the bacteria ruling sampled couldn't be identified. And not all bacteria is a bad thing. For instance, we have plenty in our systems right now. But from what ruling could quantify, 32% of the fecal bacteria she could identify in Flat Creek came from human sewage. That number rose to even higher, 47% in Fish Creek. So what I think is going on in these creeks is that septic systems or leaky sewer lines are depositing our wastewater bacteria into the ground. And then, you know, when groundwater comes up, um, it then flushes all of that wastewater bacteria into the surface water. The seasonal nature of Ruling's research is also important for this finding. She saw high concentrations of bacteria from human waste during shoulder seasons when there's a lot of runoff. The same fluctuation wasn't happening with the other two major contributors, canine and cattle. Ruling says that just adds to her hypothesis because groundwater seeps into local creeks as snow melts in the spring or fall rains arrive, and a small amount of sewage can make a big difference. So you can imagine that, like, even small quantities of wastewater being deposited into this like sparse, microbially poor surface waters could mean that it's just over, you know, those samples are overwhelmed. So what does this all mean? For one, Ruling says she'd be hesitant to recreate in fish or flat creeks, especially in the spring. But even last summer, the Teton County Department of Health put signs around those waterways warning of elevated levels of E. coli, which could be harmful. It's all a risk. It's all associated with risk. Um, and the state and EPA have has designated those areas as being um, more risky for recreation. Moving forward, Ruling says she hopes water managers in Jackson Hole use this new data in their policymaking. Making informed decisions is especially important considering how delicate Jackson Hole's ecosystem is and the fact that we're at the headwaters of the massive Snake River watershed. We all need to think about, like, we live upstream of somebody. And so we have, you know, could potentially be impacting the water, not only for that flows through our own community, but in other places much further downstream. You know, we have such little fresh water on this earth. And so at some point, like, basically all of it will, you know, be recycled, will have been defecated in. And so I think just thinking about, what that means for our health, for the health of the rest of the ecosystem is like really important. Local electeds are also planning to ask the public for special excise tax funding this fall to create a water quality master plan to improve the situation in problem areas like Hoback and Fish and Flat Creeks.
As for ruling, she's accepted a job with the Wyoming Department of Environmental Quality in Sheridan, where she'll keep focusing on environmental issues in the cowboy state. Will Walkie, KHOL News. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, a partnership between government agencies and university researchers has modern-day trappers searching Utah for beavers. But they aren't after pelts. Instead, they're using the large rodent to lessen the effects of drought. Justin Higginbottom of KZMU in Moab reports in this story that comes to KHOL through the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Collaborative. I'm at the chalky slopes of the book cliffs in the desert of southeastern Utah. A short, dusty drive from the highway, and there's a leafy oasis along the shallow Price River. I'm with Christine Sandback. She's a graduate student at Utah State University, and she has a beaver in a cage that she's trying to get a read on. Whenever we interact with them, we record their behavior, so she kind of turned away, so that would be fearful. So I'm just going to write that down. Sandback helps to trap and relocate beavers in Utah, and she's gotten to know quite a few. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they really do have different behaviors. Our last one that we did, he was super aggressive, like, the whole time. He was a big male. He was kind of scary. He would hiss and lunge at us. But this beaver is calm with her back turned to us. Sandback named her Ice Baby after finding her in the cold waters of a high-elevation canyon. We're just trapping for a landowner. She has a really amazing beaver complex on her property, but it's just gotten out of hand for her. Although Ice Baby finds herself some 60 miles south of her home waters, she's actually lucky. Before this project, usually the solution would be lethal removal. The state would come in and remove beavers for them. Instead of being killed, the hope is that Ice Baby will go to work for the state. Prolonged drought is drying up sections of this river and threatening fish, including three endangered species. Sandback is working in a partnership with the university and various state and federal agencies using beavers to help ecosystems like this one. Oh, beavers are great for the environment. That's Julie Young. She's a professor at USU working on this project. Beavers build dams to create ponds they can dip into and avoid predators. On that stretch of the Price River, there's a number of human-made beaver dam analogs, or BDAs, to help Ice Baby get started. The idea is that maybe if we have beavers out there and and they have BDAs they can build off of, that they will dam up some water and let it trickle year-round. And that will help the fish. Young says researchers around the country are studying beaver benefits. For example, in Colorado, their wetlands have acted as breaks for wildfires. And so everything kind of benefits or has the potential to benefit when there's beavers around creating more marsh habitats than otherwise might be in some of these environments. This project is a bit of a test case. After all, it's not an area you might think to find the animal. What's unique about this is it's a desert river system, and that's more rare or less common. Young says that there's some really nice beaver dam complexes on the nearby San Rafael River. And that's what the Price River could look like if beavers are in sufficient number and decide to dam it up. There was once up to 200 million beavers in North America. 
but the fur trade of previous centuries decimated that population. Luckily for beavers, the price of their pelts have plummeted. The top hats made from their fur are out of fashion for most. There's now only 10 to 15 million beavers on the continent. As the West's population has expanded, beavers are once again in conflict with humans, this time with landowners. That's where Nate Norman comes in. He's another modern-day trapper. In a lot of ways, it's similar to the old-time trappers. We're looking for the signs of where the beavers are moving and, and, and where they're active, and then luring them into areas with either food or scent. Although a big difference with past mountain men is he's using non-lethal methods. Norman's a biologist with the Beaver Ecology and Relocation Center at USU. He says the state passes on reports of nuisance beavers, and then he'll reach out to property owners and see if they'd prefer relocation to extermination. He also educates them on the usefulness of beavers. And we've had some successes where people have been okay to leave the beaver on their site and, and, and not actually have them removed. He says in the last five years he's seen a change of heart toward beavers. During drought, ranchers have especially come around to the benefits of beavers building stock ponds to provide water for cattle. They realize that when they go out and build a stock pond and it blows out in the springtime, they've got to go back up there and fix it. But if a beaver builds a pond and it blows out in the springtime, the beaver go fix it. They also help grow riparian vegetation used for animal feed, also important in a drought. Back at the Price River, Ice Baby is acting a little less fearful. She's in view of the water and gnawing at her cage. Sandback points out an artificial dam. So that is a BDA right there. Um, so it was built last year. They used to have a ton of juniper and stuff in them. They were way bigger, but they've gotten blown out with floods and stuff. Workers built 70 BDAs last year in the state. If Ice Baby likes this spot, then Sandback's job is done. So that's sort of the goal here is to have this feedback of you build the BDAs, then translocate beavers. BDAs make habitat better for the beavers, and then in turn the beavers maintain the BDAs. So there's no extra resources going into that. Sandback opens the cage and Ice Baby waddles down the dirt path to the water. She slips into the shallow river and gracefully swims away, not even a look back in gratitude. Sandback hopes she sticks around, though, and makes a home of it. Justin Higginbottom, Rocky Mountain Community Radio. for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this past week. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will be reviewing whether or not the Yellowstone bison is deserving of protections under the Endangered Species Act. The agency is concerned that the species is threatened by disease spread, habitat loss, and migration routes being cut off. Some environmental groups sued the federal government in 2020, asking them to overturn a Trump-era ruling saying a distinct bison population in Wyoming and Montana doesn't need protection. And last week's announcement is the result of a 90-day review from the U.S. Interior Department that said more research is necessary. 
The Wyoming Department of Education announced Tuesday that it plans to host a series of roundtable discussions this summer with district superintendents from across the state to talk about school safety. The move comes after the recent shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, that killed 19 students and two teachers. Communications Director for the department, Linda Finnerty, says the meetings will be a chance for the state to hear how they can better support local districts and for superintendents to learn from each other. Each part of the state has different challenges. You know, we have older buildings, we have newer buildings, um, we have large and we have small. And so bringing them together and, and sort of that shoulder to shoulder, we're all taking it on and we each have different challenges can, can in and of itself be a helpful process. In a statement provided to KHOL this week, Executive Director of Communications and District Services for the Teton County School District, Charlotte Reynolds, said the district isn't necessarily changing its security policies after Uvalde, but that it regularly reviews protocols to ensure all students, employees, and visitors are safe while at school. The U.S. Department of Agriculture will be partnering with the state of Wyoming to conserve big game populations, the agency announced last month. Enhanced and newly created incentive programs for private working landowners aim to promote voluntary preservation efforts for major American species. Agency Undersecretary Robert Bonney said during the Yellowstone National Park 150th Anniversary Symposium in Cody that collaboration among local stakeholders in wilderness areas should help the Biden administration reach its ambitious conservation goals. In order to conserve functional ecosystems across boundaries, we have to work with not against states, tribes, private landowners, with, not against, agriculture, forestry. A model which casts the federal government as a dictator and solely as a, as a regulator won't work. The USDA says it will specifically target ranchers, farmers, and forest landowners with these funding opportunities. Wyoming's junior senator, Cynthia Lummis, introduced a bipartisan bill Tuesday that would regulate cryptocurrencies and other digital assets. Speaking in a Twitter forum, the Republican said the Responsible Financial Innovation Act would continue to allow for evolution in the growing digital asset world while creating some, quote, rules of the road. It's been called, as you know, the wild, wild west. Uh, it's an untamed territory where no one knows what the regulatory environment's going to look like. We want to provide some structure to the regulatory framework. The bill is co-sponsored by Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, but it's unclear whether or not it will clear Congress before the midterm elections. Lummis herself is invested in Bitcoin and is a vocal advocate for crypto development. The Teton County Democratic Party is putting housing in the spotlight as election season begins to heat up. Multiple officials attended a block party Sunday evening, highlighting current resources for trying to find affordable lodging in Jackson Hole. State Representative Mike Yin, who is seeking re-election, also spoke about what he's planning on doing in Cheyenne in the near future to try and get more funding for local workforce housing programs. I'll also be bringing back the real estate transfer tax bill that was brought last year. Each speech was also translated into Spanish. So we can work on having a dedicated funding stream for housing in this valley. Multiple local candidates on both sides of the political spectrum have identified housing as their number one issue they're hoping to address should voters elect them this fall.
That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. You can help us spread the word about Jackson Unpacked by leaving a rating and review for the show in Apple Podcasts or just by telling a friend. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.